0: If you are receiving this transmission, you are Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker on the 4th Watch Radio Network. Network. Welcome to episode 56 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for your prayers for me and my family, for my job situation. Get that straightened out now. So it's just a tremendous... Weight off my shoulders. Um, thank you so much to my Patreon subscribers. Uh, if you want some extra content, a breakdown of different early Christians and early Christian documents, and some acoustic version videos of my my uh, original songs, please consider being a Patreon. You can find that at Patreon.com/slash Phil S. Baker. Well, today we're getting into episode fifty-six, which is a special episode. Um, requested by one of the Patreons named Miranda. She wanted a breakdown of the Trinity. So I'm putting a little pause on the Beatitude series to cover that. And also to Casey, I'm going to do an, uh, an interview with my mentor on uh, what it looks like for husbands and wives to live out the commands of Jesus and of Paul uh, in a 21st century context. And so I think y'all are going to be really, really blessed by that interview. Today, we're looking at the Trinity and we're looking at what the what the uh, early Christians believed about it. We're looking at what the Bible says about it and how they go together hand in hand. And it, I think it's going to strengthen your faith and be a really, really good, uh, apologetic tool for you to use when having discussions with with different people. If you're blessed by this episode, please consider uh, writing a rating and review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Uh, That will help others find the channel and, uh, yeah, be strengthened as well. And in 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. You can find that on Amazon. Again, if it's a blessing to you, please consider leaving a rating and review. Well, I'm definitely blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With an Answer. Definitely want to encourage y'all to check that out. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can email me at email philsbaker at gmail.com or you can email BDK and we will be sure to answer those questions on Ready With an Answer. Well, finally... The early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on a CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website. So I definitely want to encourage y'all to check that out at scrollpublishing.com. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 56 rolling. Well, I've heard several times in my life this propaganda about the Trinity that Constantine decided at the Council of Nicaea to develop this term Trinity. Uh, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal persons of the of the same God. Um, three persons, one God. Uh, and you know, that is propaganda, not three persons and one God, but that Constantine decided that in 325 of the Council of Nicaea. It's it's completely made up. So today I'm going to let you all see some early Christian quotes about the Trinity and how they relate to the scriptures. But first, to give a good foundation, I'm going to start with scripture. And we're going to start with simple words of Jesus. Now, some of these will be more straightforward and other ones will require a little bit more thinking. Some of them you've probably used a lot and maybe some of them you haven't. I'm not sure but they're extensive in scripture, gonna do a whole lot of scripture today, some at the top end, some at the back end. So this is Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is uh, what's commonly known as the Great Commission. Jesus came up to his disciples and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now notice that he said the name singular of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, plural. And that of course is used in early Christian writings as well. Now that's a pretty straightforward one. And so to maybe uh, counter that, some people might say, yes, but let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, which says, for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. And so they may say, see, there's this difference between God and Jesus. Well, it's not... <laughs> There is a distinction, but they are the same God. And the rest of the Bible is very, very clear with that. We don't have time to go through all the verses, but let's start with a little bit of John, okay? So this is John 17, starting in verse 11. This is in the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays, as it's called. And he says, I am no longer in the world, and yet... They themselves are in the world, speaking of its disciples, and he says, "I come to you, holy Father, keep them in Your name, the name which You have given Me, that they may be one, even as we are one." Now that's pretty interesting. I <laughs> I used that verse in a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness who was saying that you know Jesus is the first thing that Jehovah Yahweh. Created and then God created the world through him, and so I asked them, "Well, what is what's the name of God? What's God's name?" And they said Jehovah, and I said, "Okay, well, what does John seventeen say that God's name is, or that Jesus's name is?" And so it kind of tripped them up because Jesus says, "Holy Father, keep them in Your name, the name which You have given Me." So Jesus says. That God has given Jesus his own name. They share the same name. And what is that name? There's a lot of debate about that, but Thomas answers it in his way in John chapter 20, verse 27. Now, this is after Jesus has died and risen from the dead, but Thomas wasn't there the first time that Jesus showed up to his disciples. And so he said, unless I can, you know, put my fingers in his his side, and and touch the holes in his hands, you know, I'm not going to believe. Well, Jesus showed up and he said to Thomas, verse 27 of John 20, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here, your hand, and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Stop doubting and believe, right? Verse 28, Thomas answered him and said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus is not God, it would be It would be very bad for him, kind of blasphemous for him to say, yeah, you got it. If he's not God, he should say, Thomas, whoa, 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 slow down a little bit. I know you're excited. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. So Jesus says, yeah, that's right. (laughs) You saw me. Thomas says, my Lord and my God, and Jesus goes, yep. So Jesus is not denying that he is God. But remember, Paul said there's only one God. So is it the father or the son? One God, they're each calling themselves God. Two gods, one God. I know this can get tricky, but we'll we'll help uh, unmuddy the waters as we go. This is John 14, Jesus talking again. He says to his disciples, You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now that's it's really interesting, right? Because he said um, to Thomas, or Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said in chapter 17 that he has the same name as the Father. And yet here Jesus himself says that the Father is greater than him. So we've dealt a little bit with the Father and the Son. Let's look at the Holy Spirit now. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, now the Lord, remember, there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God, as Thomas says in John 20, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Pretty interesting because Paul, in two places there, in 17 and 18, says, The Lord is the Spirit. So Jesus is the Holy Spirit. He is, but is he? John 14, verse 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's telling them that he's going to go away. And he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, it's interesting, this word, another. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word another is alos, which generally means another of the same kind, another of the same substance. And notice that, unlike Jehovah's Witnesses who would say the Holy Spirit is just a force, just a force of energy of some kind, like divine energy. No, this is a personal being, because Jesus doesn't say it. He says he, he abides with you and will be in you. The world cannot receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him, right? Not an it and a he, a personal, divine being who is of the same substance as Jesus and the Father. Verse, sorry, John chapter fifteen, verse twenty-six. Still in that same conversation with his disciples, he says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. So how did the spirit come into the world? It says he proceeded from the father. This is getting at this begotten type language, right? Like John three sixteen, the only begotten son, like John chapter 1, When it says, the only begotten, full of grace and truth, that means to proceed forth from. So we will get into more of the analogies, but this is different than being created. This is not created, this is begotten. And we're gonna get into that more. John 16, verse 13. Still same conversation with his disciples before he gets arrested. He says, but when he... The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said that he, the Spirit, takes of mine and will disclose it to you. It's interesting. Jesus takes what the Father has and discloses it to us, and the Spirit takes what Jesus has and discloses it to us. There's this order, clearly, right? He comes from, from the Father, just like Jesus does. But you have this order, the Spirit doing what Jesus is saying, Jesus doing what the Father is saying, very interesting stuff. And to give an example of this, you can see Acts chapter 13, starting in verse one. This is talking about Paul's first missionary journey. It says, "At Antioch in the church, that was there prophets and teachers: Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul." Now, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, so they are ministering to God, they are serving God. You could say serving Jesus, serving God the Father, fasting. The Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on him, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there sailed to Cyprus. So it's kind of an interesting correlation to uh, 2 Corinthians 3:17 and 18. The Lord is the spirit. While they're ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them. So what we're seeing here is there is, uh, there is one God, one God and three separate persons of this Godhead. Three separate persons that are God, one God, but they have different personalities in one sense, they sh- but they share the same mission, they share the same substance, but they have distinction in order with god being the greatest of all the originator of all it's kind of tough to to uh, explain but i think the whole the early christians will help us so First, we'll do a short quote from Clement of Alexandria, and then we'll get into some longer stuff from Tertullian. This Clement of Alexandria in 195, he says, "'I understand nothing else than the Holy Trinity "'to be meant, for the third is the Holy Spirit, "'and the Son is the second, "'by whom all things were made according to the will of God, "'who Clement is calling first. So you see there's this first, second, third in order but they are one God called the Trinity. And notice this is in 195. This is 130 years before the Council of Nicaea. And Clement of Alexandria was not some rogue dude. He was basically in charge of like Christian orientation in Alexandria, Egypt, which was a hub of Christian thought And school, and like this guy was a big time, well respected teacher in Christendom. Okay. Now, Tertullian, this is in uh, Carthage, North Africa. Tertullian's a lawyer who wrote several apologies to the Roman Empire. A lot of, I mean, just a prolific writer. And so he writes this around 200 on the Trinity and unity sometimes called the divine economy or dispensation of the personal relations of the Godhead. All right, so he's using the word Trinity too. Now, listen to this. It's basically a creed, very powerful around 200. He says, we believe that there is only one God and that this one God also has a son, his word who proceeded from him Proceeded from the Father, by whom all things were made, and without him nothing was made. So he's saying the Son, his Logos, Jesus, proceeded, he was begotten, proceeded forth from God the Father, right? He's begotten of the Father, and through Jesus all things were made that have been made, which would disqualify Jesus from being something that was made. He was not created He was begotten. He's God of God, light of light. Okay, just kind of breaking that down a little bit. Let's get back into the quote. Tertullian says, Him, we believe to have been sent by the Father into the Virgin, Mary, and to have been born of her, being both man and God, the Son of Man and the Son of God, and to have been called by the name of Jesus Christ. We believe, so he's kind of showing there, there's a distinction in one sense between the the pre-incarnate Jesus and the post-incarnate Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus being known as the Logos, the Word, and then incarnate Jesus being called Jesus in a sense. But it's it's just different names of the same, saying personal uh, being, personal part of the uh, divine being of the Trinity. All right, second member. All right, so they're both man and God, the Son of Man and the Son of God, And to have been called by the name of Jesus Christ, we believe him, Jesus, to have suffered, died, and been buried, according to the scriptures. And after he had been raised again by the Father and taken back into heaven, to be sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that he will come back to judge the living and the dead, who sent also from heaven uh, from the Father, according to his own promise, the Holy Ghost or the paraclete, that's the helper, the sanctifier of the faith of those who believe in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Ghost, all right? So he's saying again, this Holy Spirit was sent by the Father, this paraclete, paracletos, which means helper. So that's referencing back to John 14 when he says another of the same kind, the helper, all right? It's going to remind you of everything I taught, guide you into all truth, all that kind of stuff. All right, now, going to continue with Tertullian for a couple more quotes. This one is about Jesus or the Logos, all right? Second member of the Trinity, Tertullian writes, we have been taught that he proceeds forth from God, and in that procession he is generated so that he is the son of God and is called God from unity of substance, With God, So of the same substance, God of God, light of light, that whole thing, right? He is God. He is begotten, though he proceeds forth from God. For God, too, is a spirit. Even when the ray, talking about a a ray of the sun, okay? Even when the ray is shot from the sun, it is still part of the parent mass. So a ray of the sun is actually part of the sun. It's not created by the sun. It is the sun. It's part of the sun. So, even when the ray of the sun is shot from the sun, it's still part of the parent mass. The sun will still be in the ray because it is a ray of the sun. There is no division of substance, but merely an extension. Thus, Christ is spirit of spirit, and God of God, and light of light is kindled. That which has come forth out of God is at once God, and the Son of God, and the two are one." In this way also, he is Spirit of Spirit and God of God. He is made a second in manner of existence and position, not in nature. So he's he's second in this um, order in position, but he has the same nature as the Father, God of God, Light of Light. Not created, proceeds forth from like a ray of the sun from the parent mass, the ball. All right. Now, speaking of the Holy Spirit, same kind of thing. For God sent forth the word as the paraclete also declares, just as the root puts forth from the tree and the fountain from the river and the sun from the ray. For these are emanations of the substances substances from which they proceed. So he compares it to a root and the tree, like they're all part of the same substance but they have an order in that distinction, or a fountain, which produces a river. It's all part of the same water source, water of water, of the same water, you know? So, but different orders. So I should not hesitate indeed to call the tree the son of the, or offspring of the root, and the river of the fountain, and the ray of the sun, because every original source is apparent, and everything which issues from the origin is an offspring. All right, so that's real, three really good analogies um, that Tertullian is using to uh, demonstrate uh, the Trinity. He continues everything which proceeds from something else must needs to be second to that from which it proceeds, without being on that account separated. Where, however, there is a second, there must be two, and where there is a third, there must be a three. Now the spirit indeed is third from God and the Son, just as the fruit of the tree is third from the root, or as the stream out of the river is third from the fountain, or as the apex of the ray is third from the sun. Nothing, however, is alien from that original source whence it derives its own properties. In like manner, the trinity flowing down from the father through the uh, intertwined, And connected steps does not at all disturb the monarchy, while it is at the same time guarding the state of the economy. There's a distinction in position, but not in substance, all right? So they're all part of the same monarchy. They're all king. They're all God. They're not different in that respect. They're substance of substance, right? God of God, light of light, that stuff. But there is a difference in order, in position, Jesus is not greater than the Father, just like he says, the Father is greater than I, right? And the Holy Spirit's not greater than Jesus. There's an order to it, but they're all God. Just like we have these examples in nature, as Tertullian describes with uh, trees and with uh, fountains and rivers and with the sun and its rays, okay? So we see this stuff in nature, and God has created those things to declare his glory, Now, Tertullian also writes against modalistic monarchianism, which is a belief that basically God, there is one God and not three separate persons, one God. The Father is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. That's what they believe. It's a heresy. And um, they would say he just kind of shows up in three different forms at, at different times. But it's only like the Father is actually the Son, the holy spirit is actually jesus and that's a that's a heresy these are three separate persons of the same god that's the truth and tertullian writes about that so he says this we prove that the father made his word a son to himself for if he calls him son and if the Son is none other than he who has proceeded from the Father himself and if the Word has proceeded from the Father himself then he will then be the Son and not and not himself from whom he proceeded for the Father himself did not proceed from himself now you who say that the Father is is the same as the Son do you really make the same person both to have sent forth from himself and at the same time to have gone out from himself as that being, which is God. So he's really like, Tertullian's really displaying the intellectual fallacy of modalistic monarchianism because he's saying God isn't going to bring, the father isn't going to bring forth the father. The father doesn't bring forth the father. The father doesn't proceed forth out of the father. It's the son that proceeds forth out of the father. Just like in nature, right? Like Adam begat Seth. Adam didn't begat uh, Adam, right? And Seth wasn't created by Adam. He shares the very similar DNA, right? 23 chromosomes from Adam, 23 from Eve. So like Adam is present in one sense. He's present in Seth in one sense, but... Adam is, or Seth is not Adam and Adam is not Seth. But, so that's another example in nature. Um, and of course, all analogies fall short at some point, but just in like father and son stuff, it's begotten language proceeds forth from not created, but different persons, okay? Now, I just want to get to some practical application for us Uh I think the Trinity is a really good description for us. Understanding the Trinity helps us understand prayer. And so what we see in prayer as it regards to the Trinity, how they all function together to help us do the will of God, we are to pray to God, the Father, through Jesus, the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And I just wanna break down a few verses for y'all with that theme. So we pray to God, the father. Jesus says in the sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, verse seven. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay. So he's telling the disciples, you pray to God, the father. And then just for clarification's sake, Jesus says, then pray in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen. Now, you know, I I hear a lot of ministry leaders and just Christians in general, often they pray to Jesus. And I get it. You know, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. I totally get it. But Jesus didn't tell us to pray to Jesus. Jesus told us to pray to the Father, Okay, so that's just some instruction. We pray to the Father, but we pray to the Father through the Son, through what Jesus has done. Jesus makes that way possible for us. And you see this in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the holy of holies, the nowos, the temple, as the book of Hebrews says, was basically designed to demonstrate to us stuff about God. Like, that's the whole reason it was created. It's demonstrating to you truths about God and about our relationship to God. And in a sense, when the veil of the temple was torn while Jesus' body is being broken for us, in a sense, kind of like the Lord's Supper, as Jesus is dying for us, the veil of the temple, this uh, three-foot-thick, curtain that separated the holy of holies from the holy place, it's torn. And so now it's not just one person who can go in once a year, like the earthly high priest, but now we all have access right to the holy of holies, right to the ark, right to the bema, right to the mercy seat, right to God the Father through the Son. That's why we pray in Jesus' name in one sense. And there are other reasons why we do that, but it's in Jesus' name. It's by what he has done, not by what we have done, that we pray to God. It, our good works can't, can't do that for us. We need we need Jesus. We need Jesus, all right? It's what he has done. We pray to the Father through the Son, but we also pray by the Spirit. So this is Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, because you are sons, God the Father sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, crying into our hearts, Abba, Father. All right, so a lot of cool stuff there, adoption stuff, Um, but also it's the spirit of his son that comes into us, which Philippians 1 would call like the spirit of Jesus, right? So it's actually the spirit of Jesus that comes into us. This is the Holy Spirit. That's why uh, Paul would say in uh, 2 Corinthians 3 that the Lord is the spirit. All right, there's this, I mean, they're intimately connected in one sense. Um, And he comes into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit, we pray by the spirit. The spirit teaches us to cry out to God the Father as our Father. And so in that one sense, we pray by the Spirit. And there's another way that we pray by the Spirit in one sense. And this is in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so... The Holy Spirit knows what's on God's mind and he knows exactly what we should be praying for. And sometimes he can take this jumbled mess of words that I I often pray and like not knowing how to pray, but just talking to God. And he like packages it up in a way that's like, it makes sense, I guess, I don't know. But he teaches us how to pray. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words touching the heart of God in powerful ways. We pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. And I wanna encourage you to do the same this week. And I really wanna encourage you as you're having apologetic conversations with Mormons or with Jehovah's Witnesses or just people who have been misled by the propaganda out there about the Trinity. Use those analogies of the sun and the fountain and the tree. All right. God bless y'all.
1: I'll be there when you close your eyes. Don't you worry about a thing. I'll be there through the darkest night when you rise to face the day trials and in your tragedies i'll be with you through it all rest your head here in your father's arms. even when it's pouring down when the waters start to rise even when you're numb doubt, when you can't believe your eyes no amount of pain could ever change my faithfulness and love. So rest your head here in your Father's arms. Know oh, the lies that you. It's going to be when you will know just as you know, but until then rest in your Father's arms. Rest your head here in your Father's arms.